Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Law Today podcast presented by Foley and Lardner. Each month, we'll bring on a different thought leader to discuss current legal trends in the healthcare industry. I'm your host, Judy Waltz, partner and chair of Foley's healthcare industry team. It's a pleasure having you joining us today. Before we begin our show, I want to remind you to subscribe to Healthcare Law Today, either on iTunes or your preferred podcast app. Please visit our website at healthcarelawtoday.com. For today's show, I'd like to introduce my colleague, Kyle Faget, to kick off today's conversation with Jennifer Crawford, General Counsel at Medici, on how coronavirus has impacted the telehealth industry. Take it away, Kyle. Thanks so much, Judy. Hi, my name is Kyle Faget. I am of counsel at Folian Lardner. I'm a member of the Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice Groups, and I am a core member of our telemedicine practice, which is booming at the moment, which is pretty exciting. And today I am joined by Jennifer Crawford, who is General Counsel at Medici. Um, And I will let Jennifer explain what Medici is and what Medici does. But I'm excited to have Jennifer today because she is literally on the legal front lines of managing COVID-19 via telemedicine, which is really what we're going to talk about today is the incredible shift that we've seen in telemedicine and what can be done with telemedicine that uh, was prompted by COVID-19. So I will pause there and let Jennifer introduce herself. Yeah, sure. Hi. Um, Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it, Kyle. Um, I'm Jennifer Crawford, the General Counsel at Medici, which is a virtual care company that connects providers to their patients via audio, video, and text. Um, I've been at Medici since January 2019. and Before that, I practiced at some large law firms in New York City and Charlotte, and I practiced in-house in the healthcare industry for several years as well. And so we have been seeing a lot of things at Medici in the virtual care space. It's been a crazy ride, especially in the last couple of months, for sure. I bet. I bet. Um, So what are some of the biggest changes you've seen to telemedicine since the beginning of maybe starting with the beginning of the declaration of the public health emergency? Well, there's been several changes. I mean, it's even hard to keep up with them all. Uh, But really what we're seeing is many barriers that we've struggled with for years have really been broken down in a matter of weeks. Um, the first that we've been looking at was license, is licensure waivers. So states usually require doctors to have a state license to practice medicine within that state, um, which presents a challenge in telemedicine. When you're at a brick and mortar practice, it doesn't matter because your patients are just driving to see you. And usually that happens in the same state. But with telemedicine, doctors can treat uh, patients with a farther reach. So there are many states waiving these licensure requirements during the pandemic, um, which helps doctors using our platform to have a further reach to help more people. So that's one thing that we're really uh, seeing and it's exciting thing to see. We definitely are looking forward to seeing how that impacts patient care going forward. Sure, that makes a ton of sense. I, mean, I, I have people even reaching out to me currently asking questions, and I think it, it's not and maybe it's counterintuitive. I don't know. It's hard for me to say from my vantage point since I've been practicing this for a while, but it's um, perhaps not totally intuitive that you need to be licensed where the patient resides or is at the point of care. So um, you're right that it has been a huge barrier and the shift has been tremendous. Um, Anyway, not to interrupt, but I just thought I'd interject that piece. Um, So what else? 
Um, the second thing maybe is uh, Health and Human Services has relaxed HIPAA rules, saying they will impose penalties for non-compliance with HIPAA as long as the provider is engaging in the good faith provision of telehealth during the pandemic. Uh, this has been interesting for us for many reason, reasons. First, it's just, you know, fueled a huge spike in interest to use our platforms. Um, we've also had one or two questions um, from providers if they could just use Zoom or Skype instead. That was pretty interesting. And our answer to that has been not to forget the good faith provision of that HHS directive. Um, so using Zoom maybe without a BAA puts more of a target on that provider's back instead of using, you know, finding a HIPAA compliant platform. And I think patients also expect HIPAA compliance, um, and it's also not a, a long-term solution. We think telemedicine is here to stay, so why introduce your patients to something that you probably can't use in the future? Um, so use a platform that's built for this, right? Medici also offers malpractice insurance for our consults, whereas another platform could leave the provider open to, you know, the reasonable possibility of, of malpractice lawsuits. So we provide some extra protection there. I mean, I completely appreciate that during a public health emergency, to the extent that HHS is concerned about getting care to patients in a way that, you know, doesn't expose clinicians unnecessarily, preserves um, PPE for times when it's absolutely needed to say, okay, you know, during this public health emergency, you know, go ahead and use FaceTime, go ahead and use whatever um, technology is available to reach the patient. But having said that, I 100% agree with you that um, when you are a patient interacting with a healthcare provider, you absolutely expect confidentiality and HIPAA compliance. So, um, to the extent that providers already have a HIPAA-compliant platform uh, with which to conduct telemedicine, it makes a ton of sense to continue utilizing that platform. And for those providers who, in a pinch, you know, are utilizing FaceTime or you know, interacting with telemedicine, utilizing the tool for the very first time, I totally agree with you. As soon as the quote-unquote pandemic uh, is over and the public health emergency ceases, I imagine it will be time for all providers to shift to a HIPAA compliant platform such as Medici. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, so licensure waiver, absolutely. I think that's a huge thing. Um, the um, discretion that being exercised in terms of HIPAA enforcement. And is there anything else that has in your mind's eye has been an enormous shift or really groundbreaking? Yeah, I think a third thing could be the prescription of controlled substances. It's something we're looking at really closely now. Normally, the DEA does not allow providers to prescribe controlled substances via telemedicine, but there is an exception to this for a public health emergency. So the DEA has put out some guidance about this during the pandemic, basically allowing it um, subject to certain conditions. So you still have to have a legitimate medical purpose and then be in the usual course of the provider's practice. It needs to be audio, video, real-time two-way interactive communication. And of course, the provider still needs to act in accordance with federal and state law. So even though this federal law has an exception, they still have to watch out for state laws. 
and also policies for maybe like e-prescribed systems. Some systems don't allow for the prescription of controlled substances. So there are a couple, you know, roadblocks there still, but this has been a huge shift, especially with the opioid crisis. I guess the pandemic outweighs the <laughs> opioid crisis right now. But I do think that, you know, we're, we're looking at this carefully and watching it to see how our providers can use this exception for the good of their patients. I completely see what you're saying. And I do think it has been, from our client's perspective, a huge shift. So in advance of the public health emergency, the barrier to use of telemedicine was really DEA had the requirement that a clinician have an in-person visit with a patient in advance of utilizing telemedicine to prescribe controlled substances. Um, then layer on top of that, right, that um, individual states have their own rules and regulations associated with the prescribing of controlled substances, sometimes quite specific to the use of telemedicine. So for example, there are states out there that um, take issue with utilizing telemedicine for the prescription of controlled substances. So you're 100% accurate that um, you know, while DEA has removed this barrier, um, practitioners are well advised to look to their state statutes and regulations before um, prescribing controlled substances without an in-person visit uh, to ensure that the state doesn't have some kind of requirement in place and or it is possible that during the public health emergency that there's been an executive order in the state to remove such barriers, but it is important to know what those are. It is a great barrier. I mean, it's a good barrier for, for now to break down, but there are some roadblocks still. From my perspective, some of the things that have been this like huge shift, and this might not be as, you know, it, maybe it intersects with, with Medici, maybe it doesn't. I suppose to the extent that providers have access to reimbursement in a way that they didn't before, I can imagine that this could make a difference for Medici, but um, the relaxation in um, Medicare reimbursement. So Medicare changed the approach to telemedicine during the public health emergency so that before there were uh, prescribed originating sites and distance sites, so where the patient could be located and where the provider could be as well, there's, there's really a, a strict set of rules about that. And Medicare has relaxed that at this juncture. And again, in large part to address not wanting to put um, healthcare providers in harm's way, potentially um, as of March 6, Medicare is now paying for telehealth services that are furnished to patients even at home, which was uh, you know not, not the way it was in advance of the public health emergency. And it's at the same rate as um, the regular in-person visits. So this is a huge shift, right? And that's something that has been talked about for a long time, to be honest. And there's been a lot of pressure on Medicare in advance of the public health emergency to open up telemedicine so that it telemedicine wouldn't just be available to people in rural locations, which of course, one can understand why telemedicine would be a very useful tool in rural areas, being able to reach patient populations that don't have providers, maybe right down the street. But there's a lot of utility for telemedicine in urban areas as well. So it maybe took this pandemic to get that shift put in place. But, but you know, we're seeing now a big shift there. And alongside that, some states already have in place what's uh, considered payment parity, where 
commercial insurers and their Medicaid programs, for example, have to pay telemedicine and to the next step of that, having to pay telemedicine visits at the same rate as in-office visits. And this shift has really forced the hand of some states that were slow to adopt this payment parity model. So for example, in Massachusetts, there wasn't payment parity up until the public health emergency. And now for at least for the purposes of the public health emergency, commercial insurers now have to pay for telemedicine visits in a way that they didn't have to before. So, you know, we're seeing this this all explode and, you know, even modalities have changed where there is a huge push against using telephones. Um, and, you know, I sit on these calls now with the CMS host these calls and there's a lot of call for use of telephones because, um, you know, the, the gold standard is this audio visual real time communication that Medici offers uh, through its platform. There's a portion of the population that and most notably the elderly population that may not have an iPhone (laughs) available or a Google phone or whatever, right? You know, and so the only way you can get care to them maybe is, is via the regular telephone. But, you know, regardless of all of that, I mean, since we're now seeing like better reimbursement, more reimbursement, um, have you seen a dramatic shift at Medici? Have you seen providers all of a sudden flocking to the platform and saying, hey, all of a sudden we have these mechanisms for reimbursement available now where we once didn't see maybe there was utility in telemedicine but if you can't get paid for it it's hard it's hard to argue somebody should do it you know right so yeah i mean we have providers that want to use telemedicine with their patients but they're afraid that they're not going to get reimbursed for that so now this is you know breaking down more barriers that they have more clarity around if they get reimbursed for a telemedicine visit instead of just an in-person visit because if they're not sure about it and the patient's not sure about it the default is just come into the office but now as more clarity you know there's more clarity around this I think the shift to telemedicine is going to to pick up the pace or pick up speed. So it'll be interesting um, as these laws really come into effect and and the payments really um, start flowing to the physicians and the patients are seeing that this is getting reimbursed. I think telemedicine is really going to take off. And have you seen um, an uptick in subscriptions to Medici's platform since uh, the public health emergency was declared? Absolutely. This has made our our business explode. I think it's really changed the thinking of the general public um, and providers with regard to using telemedicine, right? Patients don't want to go into the office and be exposed. Providers sure don't want to be exposed to all those you know, all those people. And then our governing bodies, right? Our, our governments don't want people to, to go to the doctors. They want it to stay home. So we have a solution for this now instead of people kind of being on the fence saying, I'll try this later, you know, I'll go to the doctor this time. Maybe I'll try virtual care later. They want to try the virtual consult first and save the in-person visit for a last resort. So this has really caused us to see a huge increase in demand, which, you know, we're trying to help as many people as we can um, and, ha- and be the solution here. So we're really excited to, to provide that service. This has just been such a dramatic sea shift and just, as you suggested at the very beginning, in a matter of weeks, right? Like all these barriers, all the things that we've been talking about for so long in telemedicine circles as here's why we can't get by and here's, you know, here's this barrier, the licensure, the reimbursement. I mean, everything just went crumbling down all at once, which I guess leads to what I think is the next natural question is, okay, when all is said and done, do you see telemedicine 
all of these changes staying in place? And, you know, if not, what do you think is going to stay? And what do you think um, will sort of go back to business as usual? I think this is the fun part to think about, right? Because uh, we don't know. Um, I do think that we'll be see, um, we'll continue to see increased volume of virtual consults. I think what this kind of gets people through that initial hesitation to try telemedicine. So I do think that telemedicine is here to stay. I mean, even before the pandemic, I think it was projected that it was going to be like an $130 billion um, industry by 2025, up from $38.3 billion last year. And that was before this even hit. So I think telemedicine is here to stay. I think, you know, that really, this drives people to try it. Um, but, you know, the things that we talked about, like, for example, I think the HIPAA regs, I think those will change that slightly to be more friendly to virtual care. And I think that, you know, as lawmakers make regulations regarding HIPAA, they'll be thinking about virtual care more. Um, but I don't see HIPAA like totally going away. Do you agree? I agree with that. Yep. Yep. It's just too important for people to know that they, as you suggested, there's an expectation of privacy and when you're interacting with a healthcare provider. And so I think that that there might be some shifts to it. I can't think exactly about what those shifts might be, but I do anticipate that it will still be the barriers will go back up with, in terms of HIPAA for sure. Um, and that's, that's a good thing, right? I mean, we want our privacy protected ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point, patients expect that and, and to just do away with that totally, it would not be really good for anyone. So, yeah. And I also think like the, with the restrictions on uncontrolled substances, I think that will come back um, when this is over. I think that is too important of a, an issue in the United States that that will keep the way it is right now. Um, I do think state licensure requirements may be something that will change following this. Like they have the interstate medical licensure compact. So I can see that kind of being the lead, right? Of having to have more rapid, basically more doctors be able to practice in multiple states. So I could definitely see that, that that would be something that would be here to stay as well. You know, I hope that you're right on that front, right? Because when I get phone calls from um, young entrepreneurs, young physicians interested and in, well, frankly, any age range, but new to telemedicine practitioners, um, one of the first things that we have to address is the licensure issue. Okay, you know, where are you licensed? And if you want to provide care um, from Massachusetts to Texas or Massachusetts to Florida, for example, then you really need to be um, licensed to practice medicine in those states. And it can take providers over a year to get licensed in, oh, you know, forever. Right? Yeah. it's crazy. It really does. It takes forever. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some states that have just sort of thrown up the white flag and said, listen, if you're licensed and in good standing in your state, please come and practice. We need the help. Some states are taking this approach that you have to provide you know, documentation that you are licensed and in good standing in another state before you are able to provide care within the state of interest, for example. So, you know, there's not uniformity right now. Every state's taking their own approach to licensure waiver. I think it would be great. Um, and in fact, we, as, as our practice group the other day, we did um, sort of a query out to everybody, what do you think is going to change and what will stay in place following the public health emergency? And it was a much larger question, not just with telemedicine, but this issue of licensure. I think a lot of people believe, as you do, that um, 
the easing of restrictions will stay in place after the public health emergency. And I feel like a total naysayer about this because <laughs> I sort of think, and maybe it's just that I'm jaded from having practiced in healthcare for quite a while, but I see states as really, and really state medical boards wanting to have control in a way that I, I don't know. I really, I hope it's true that the easing of restrictions stays in place, but I have to say I'm not, I'm not incredibly optimistic about it. Again, just because I think that states can be pretty protectionist and, you know, I mean, we see some of that in law too, right? With the various licensure, like, you know, you can't just go to Florida. You still have to pass the Florida bar, right? And so I can see states still taking that approach. Like, hey, we just, we don't want providers just beaming in via phone and via FaceTime and treating patients in our state willy-nilly. And again, that, that might just be that I'm, I'm a jaded soul on this front, but I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it could also be how long this actually lasts, right? If this is going to be over, and again, nobody really knows how long we're all going to be kind of on lockdown. But if this is, is this for two years? Is this for six months? I think that's going to also depend on where we end up as well. You know, that's a really, really good point. I think the longer that this goes on, the less likely it is that the state medical boards can go back to sort of business as usual. There'll just be so much inertia. You know, the one thing, though, that I think I wonder about, though, and, you know, you mentioned um, the opioid crisis and sort of balancing that out with utilizing telemedicine for um, the prescribing of controlled substances. And I just want to, like, lay out there and, again, I 100% agree with you that the opioid crisis has its own inertia and DEA is always struggling to get its arms around how to balance access to care with trying to control for the opioid crisis. But, you know, the big barrier for telemedicine really is about having to have this initial in-person visit, right? And that's really the big thing that has been lifted here. And the enforcement I get leading up to the public health emergency of that provision within telemedicine um, has not been particularly robust. So that's one place that I think this, and again, we have no idea, right? Um, but that's one place that I hope, I really do hope that DEA continues with that position, not requiring the in-person visit because that in-person visit visit requirement before being allowed to compliantly prescribe controlled substances has been just a colossal barrier um, to use of telemedicine and to what end exactly, right? You can do ID verification via telemedicine. You can have real-time audio visual. So exactly what purpose that particular prohibition is serving at this point, I'm not 100% sure of. So my hope is anyway that 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 particular provision, um, that loosening stays in place. But I hear you on the other side of this that I think anything that relates to the opioid crisis that even feels as though we're loosening up the reins, that there's going to be a lot of question marks about that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Only time will tell. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, it's got to be really exciting to see, you know, all of these changes. And, you know, like I said at the very beginning, it's it's great to have you today because you're really at the front lines and seeing all of this unfold in real time with the business, which is a perspective that must just be absolutely amazing. I hope that when 
we come out the other side of this, you'll take some time to kind of write up some of your experiences because I'd be very interested in in hearing about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, it has been a wild <laughs> ride for sure. It has been crazy. Um, and really, I mean, honestly, we just want to help as many people as we can. And if, you know, that means extra hours or whatever, I think we're all willing to put that time in. Anything that we can do to help with the pandemic, everyone is trying to, to do what they can. And and if this is what we can do and, and, and serve more patients and, and deal with that spike and try it in our, like our customer service line is going crazy, right? There's so many questions from providers and from patients and we're trying to get to all that. So if we can do that and kind of, I think, you know, you do your part by staying in, we do our part by trying to make sure that everybody is satisfied with the product and keeping it up to date on all of these laws and helping our providers, then, then that's what we'll do. And we're happy to do that. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to uh, be with us today. And maybe if you wouldn't mind taking a minute, reminding our listeners, um, kind of who you are and what you do and how people can get in touch with you to access uh, Medici services. Thanks, Kyle. So we are Medici Technologies LLC or Medici. We're a virtual care company that connects providers to their patients via audio, video, and text. So we have software platforms to be able to connect. In case it's helpful for your listeners um, and they'd like to know more, uh, please go to medici.md or you can find us in the app store and we can give you a call. We can walk you through our, our services um, and, and help you in any way we can to help you um, with your practice. Well, we can't thank you enough. I thank you. And I, you know, whether or not people can see all the work that you're doing, I know from my perspective that it's almost every day that the legal landscape is shifting, particularly with respect to telemedicine. So thank you for being in the trenches and for everything that you're doing. And thank you so much for, for taking some time to talk with us today. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, hundred percent. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Judy. Thank you, Kyle. And thank you to Jennifer Crawford for a great show. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Healthcare Law Today podcast, your connection to timely legal updates in the healthcare industry. Healthcare Law Today is a monthly program, and we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast or to Foley's Healthcare Law Today blog at healthcarelawtoday.com. If you like this show, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to rate us five stars. Until next time on the Healthcare Law Today podcast, I'm Judy Waltz at Foley & Lardner. Thank you for joining us.